Hola, hola. Welcome, everybody, to Season 3 of the Chicago Techies Podcast, a podcast focused on highlighting the voices of Chicago techies and their experiences. This season, we'll be hearing from seasoned entrepreneurs to rising stars making their mark. We'll dive into their triumphs, their challenges, and all their unique experiences that have shaped their journeys. I'm Ceci Fisher Benitez. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Mariana. It's great to have you on the Chicago Techies podcast. Um, thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me today. It's such a pleasure. You, yeah. I mean, this is the first time we're meeting each other, even though we've been, I've been like fangirling over LinkedIn for a while. Um, but I, for folks listening, what is your full name? Your, uh, what are your pronouns? And of course, like, what's your current role right now? And where, yeah. and where you're from. I think I asked that right. Yeah. yeah. So Mariana Padilla, she, her, hers. I'm currently the CEO and co-founder of Kicker, K-I-K-R-R. Um, and where I am from, I am from a little backwater town in northern New Mexico uh, called Española. If you have seen The Curse on Netflix, that is based in Española, which I was shocked anyone chose to base a TV show there. But here we are. <laughs> and you also come from Latin Roots. Absolutely. Yeah. So interestingly enough, um, I had my parents do uh, DNA testing a couple of years ago. So my dad's side of the family has been in New Mexico for a long, long time. Um, but 23andMe showed us like it was like they've been there since I, forever. Like I'm, I'm talking like 1600s came over, you know, with the conquistadors and that whole thing. So it was like you could see it like northern Africa and then down through like South America. And then wow. up it was like very interesting to be able to kind of see the evolution of the genealogy on that side of things. That's so interesting. I've been wanting to do the 23 and me for a while. I mean, I I was born and raised in Mexico and then mm-hmm. you know, I moved here when I was 11, but I've always been curious of what like what are all the roots my family claims that we have family in Spain mm-hmm. and you know, that's there's like a a line and I'm just kind of like mm-hmm. I don't know. I we should yeah. maybe we should try to find out. Well, um, it is interesting. I mean, we have a little town just south of Albuquerque called Los Padillas, where you know that's like my whole dad's. Yeah. It's, it's the, the whole fam. This is in <laughs> Los Padillas, so there we go. Anyone wants to visit just south of Albuquerque? That's where that's where they're from. You know, I've always wanted to visit New Mexico. It looks beautiful there. Um, but what was it like growing up there? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, I kind of reflect on where I am now in terms of being a technology technology CEO, specifically in the cybersecurity space where um, there's like, you know, I don't know, two, three of us <laughs> Latinx <laughs> leaders in cybersecurity. Um, and so yeah. I think, you know, if you were to kind of uh, lay out what would have been the successful stepping stones for someone to uh, come into this type of position, it definitely would not have been um, someone with my background, but here we are. So, um, which I think is why we need to be so strategic about, you know, our approach and being inclusive and opening the door for others to be in this space. But um, like I said, tiny little town in Northern New Mexico, um, which uh, was in the news recently, along with being the uh, a home for the Netflix show The Curse for cocaine being found in a, a, a sonic hot dog. So oh, that God. kind of gives you <laughs> a little bit of insight into what it was like, you know, lots of rural poverty. I think it's, it's interesting, you know, when you grow up in a situation like that and you don't realize just how many problems there are until you leave. Um, mm-hmm. Right. And so like, it was totally normal for there to be, you know, just a lot of, you know, uh, 
it, you know, it, things that come along with poverty and, you know, drug usage and yeah. all those kinds of things. So, um, thankfully, you know, uh, had a family that really valued the, uh, role of education and the, the importance of that. Um, and so went through, uh, school in Los Alamos, New Mexico, also in the news for Oppenheimer. So there we go, <laughs> New Mexico in the news, uh, and which was a very strange place to grow up also uh, when you have a critical mass of nuclear physicists all in one, <laughs> in one place. Um, so anyway, that's where I graduated from high school and you know was able to take advantage of the really quality education there uh, to uh, go to college and, and leave the state absolutely stunning. You're 100% right. Uh, just so many problems and just not a lot of, um, at the time, it didn't seem like a great place to stay because there wasn't a lot of industry, right? You have uh, federal government, you have state government are the two two biggest industries. Um, I think that's changing now, you know, obviously with the, ro- the role of remote work, you can, you know, work from anywhere and they've had some, you know, technology investments. But at the time, it just didn't really seem um, like if I was, you know, focused on my future, that that was going to be the place where I would ultimately stay. Yeah. And what what brought you to so I saw on your LinkedIn that you went to uh, to journalism school. Mm-hmm. Did. Um, you went to the University of Missouri um, and then Loyola. But mm-hmm. walk me through why the Midwest? Um, you know, my mom's from the Midwest. So she grew up in Springfield, Illinois. I was very familiar with it. I, I don't know. I've really always felt at home in the Midwest. Um, I'm a huge fan of the Midwest. It's funny. I was just talking to Ted earlier today who runs the Midwest house for South by Southwest. Um, and I was talking to him about, I will throw down for the Midwest. I mean, I don't know. I just really have always felt very, very at home here. Um, at the time, I thought I wanted to be in journalism. Didn't realize that in order to get into the industry, you have to spend a lot of time working in tiny, tiny little towns to like make a name for yourself. Was yeah. not interested in that. Ultimately, ended up leaving and moving uh, to Chicago to go to Loyola and ended up with a history degree. Um, which, you know, you got to kind of figure out what you do with that. And now I'm in cybersecurity. So here we are. Yeah, I, I want to know how from how you made the decision from history to tech. <laughs> you know, um, uh, so I, I spent some time working in education and nonprofit. And okay. um, what I really learned from that is that uh, industries that really double down on this is the way we have always done it are not for me. Um, I am constantly someone like I can't stop solving problems to save my life. Like my fiance is like, you jump into problem solving mode faster than anyone on the planet. So, I mean, that's just how I operate, which I think lends itself well to being in technology. So I kind of really stumbled into it, but honestly, it's been the perfect fit. And even one step beyond that, um, I'm, I made a post about this on LinkedIn recently, that um, if you are operating on a, this is the way we've always done it mindset in cybersecurity, mm-hmm. you've always, you're, you're already lost. You have lost because mm-hmm. the, the, the hackers are constantly evolving what they're doing and constantly evolving their threats. So there literally is no space for that in cybersecurity. And so I, it's, it's been honestly the perfect fit. I could not have found um, a better home for myself. Yeah. So walk me through your path though, through, from, from working at all these nonprofits and, and kind mm-hmm. of remaining sort of in education, mm-hmm. like what made you decide like, oh, maybe I should try to go through this tech um, community, or I, I know that you also have some experience in marketing. Like mm-hmm. what was, what was that process like? 
Yeah, absolutely. So the, um, the last like job job, I guess, that I had was the United Way. Um, and so while I was there, I was initially hired on to um, kind of manage our grant recipients because that's what the United Way does. They do a lot of mm-hmm. um, fundraising and then distribute grant money. And so I was responsible for um, managing relationships with the um, folks who were getting our grants. But ultimately through that, we had a lot of job openings within the company. And so I stepped in um, with their marketing team and really loved it. And so I think the other kind of common thread there with everything that I have done is I, you know, storytelling. I, I say this all the time, but the the more you will be more successful if you can tell a story. It doesn't matter if you're in fundraising, mm-hmm. if you're talking to VCs, if you're talking to middle schoolers, particularly, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, short, short attention spans, like the better you can tell a story, the more successful you're going to be. So um, I ended up moving from Cincinnati to Chicago and it was uh, February 20 or uh, 20. Well, I moved in November 2019 and so um, was in in the middle of making a career switch in February of 2020. Um, And everything, all those jobs that I was applying for evaporated because the world shut down and Mm -hmm. COVID happened. And so um, I started freelancing uh, basically out of necessity and then was able to grow my marketing agency from there. Um, Red Lab Marketing, which I founded in 2020, uh, focused on social media and email marketing, specifically working with B2B. Uh, business providers. Um, Really loved that, learned a lot through that experience. I think it's really, really valuable. The lessons that I learned as being a small business owner that I can translate that into tech. I think there's a a lot of stuff there that I think um, gave me insights to and specifically some things that I think the B2B space is missing. But, um, you know, through my marketing role, um, did a lot of speaking engagements. And uh, and that's where I met my co-founder. So I was doing a presentation on B2B Instagram marketing Mm -hmm. uh, with a content marketing society out of um, the Bay Area and um, was focused on like kind of my one of the other things that, you know, I really like to focus on is community building. We can have a whole other conversation about that. But he saw my presentation, reached out, initially came on doing some contract work for him, became an advisor, uh, and then decided to go all in. And really kind of the decision making there was, um, so I'll give you, you know, 10,000 foot view of what Kicker is doing. Uh, We're an automated demo marketplace for cybersecurity Mm -hmm. that allows people to try before they buy. Um, And I have had experience on the buyer side of things, attempting to purchase software for clients and just Mm -hmm. like so painful. I hate clicking on the talk to sales. I don't want to talk to you until I know that I'm ready to purchase your tool. And so when I met someone who's like, this is the problem we're solving, I was like, hell yes. Yes. <laughs> so that's the long-winded answer to your question. So that was that the turning point then into, into cybersecurity? Yes. No, absolutely. And so like our vision really has been since to since the beginning to not only change the, the cybersecurity software space, but the entire SaaS space as well. Um, and I think there's a lot of impetus for that, like talking to, um, you know, software sellers and a variety of verticals around the country. I mean, the story is the same, you know, close rates are low, people aren't renewing contracts, people don't want to get a sales call, like the whole nine yards. So I think the entire industry really needs to change. Um, yeah. You know, and that's been our goal since day one. Uh, I don't, think I don't dream small. <laughs> Obviously, this is a gigantic goal. Um, and I won't stop until we've accomplished it. Yeah. Can you elaborate on how this like future of trying before you buying kind of helps, you know, folks make a better decision? Yeah, no, absolutely. So uh, thinking specifically about cybersecurity, um, the current process is you have to contact 
a vendor. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there's, you know, at, at last count, at least 33 to 4,000 cybersecurity vendors out there selling a variety of products. You know, if we think that all those vendors are selling, you know, five plus tools or something, that gives you an indication of just how big the the market size is for cybersecurity tooling, and it's only continuing to grow. So um, say you're uh, a CISO, chief executive, uh, chief information security officer, and you are tasked with finding a tool for your company to protect it from ransomware. Um, There's a couple of different approaches you can take. One, you can outsource your security. But if they, if your company doesn't want to pay for that, you are responsible for finding the tooling to install within your tech stack to protect your company. So the current process, like I said, you start out, maybe you do a little bit of research on the front end, but then you have to immediately contact a sales team in order to be able to see the inside of the tool to be able to understand its functionality. Um, beyond that, there's like a POV, a proof of value, there's a proof of concept. You know, the entire process typically takes around 18 months to complete. Um, which is especially problematic if you think about the fact that many of these companies are reaching out after there's already been an incident. So they may not even necessarily have tools to protect themselves. And now it's going to take them additional 18 months to find something to put in their tech stack and, and, and prevent this from happening again. So we're talking about months and months and months where these companies are going unprotected or they're using tools that allowed them to be breached to begin with. So that's a major problem right there, especially, you know, when you think about uh, uh, just the amount of regulations coming down the pike in terms of like requirements around companies needing to have this kind of security and be protected, you know, that that's going to continue to be the case. You know, specifically now those regulations are, are focused on, you know, public companies that are listed, but uh, I mean, we just need to, uh, that's going to be the case for, I think most companies, there's going to be requirements around how we protect our infrastructure. So they're better protecting like consumer data. So, yeah. um, you know, the industries only can, can continue to grow. And if they keep trying to sell tools the way they've always tried to sell tools, um, it's just going to be a disaster. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine. Um, Now, what's like the long term vision for Kicker, like from your team? Like, um, how do you see the platform evolving uh, to meet all the changing needs, right, that cybersecurity, the cybersecurity market is experiencing? Yeah. So I'm just specifically thinking about cybersecurity. I mean, I kind of mentioned that ultimately we would love to be able to kind of like dominate the broader uh, SaaS market as a whole. Um, A couple of different things I think that really um, make us special and unique. So uh, I guess the first is really... Uh, tracking industry trends. So um, we're really focused on as we enter 2024 as being the home of AI cybersecurity tools, which is an entirely new market, right? So, you know, AI only came onto the scene, uh, like in a big way, what, six months ago, when it was already totally changed the way the world works. So this is a brand new category. Um, And we're putting our stake in the ground as being the home for AI cybersecurity tools. So that's the first thing, Um, you know, and just from that, I think we intend to be boundary breakers in a lot of different ways. Um, the other thing that we do that I think is really uh, special is we do a lot of events called the World Hacker Games. Um, and essentially what these do is allow we build custom arenas, capture the flag arenas, where we spotlight vendor products and see how they perform in real time against uh vulnerabilities that, you know, have just come out. So we have a team that's tracking new threats on the dark web who can say, hey, there's this new thing that people need to be aware of. Let's put it in our arena and and see, you know, does this tool do what it says it's going to do against that? So that really has not been done 
at all. So the way that vendors have essentially showcased like the whether or not their product works is they'll get a consumer on a call, they'll do a demo, they'll be like a canned attack. The vendor already knows what's going to happen. Like this is not any <laughs> like this this is you know is totally predetermined and say oh this is how it performs, but it's not like real time validation. Um, so you know doing what we're doing is really revolutionary in a lot of ways, and I think there's a couple of reasons for that that it, it's already showing to be very, very successful. One is thinking about like macroeconomic trends. Um, you know, it, the lack of availability of funding means that customer means that companies of all sizes are really having to extend their runway, which also means that for the first time, a lot of companies really having to justify their security budgets. Like in the past years, CISOs and security teams have really kind of had free reign to like spend whatever they wanted to on security tools for these larger companies and organizations. Um, and that really has come to uh, come to a stop. And so what what I'm trying to get at is that like security companies for the very first time uh, are having to put their money where their mouth is and say, yes, our product actually works. You know, and I think there's a lot of um, talk in the industry. Oh, our product is this. We protect all the things all the time and all the places. And that's just like not true. So there's a lot of big talk about how some of these tools perform. And I think a lot of times they're not as, you know, effective as they actually say they are. So I think it's, it's totally changing, um, that piece of things. The other thing is, you know, there's, um, big players who have dominated the space for a long time. Um, and because of that, a lot of these younger players who are, are have newer tools are having a hard time kind of breaking through the noise and, and, and showcasing how their products work. And so we're giving them a way to do that with the events that we're doing. So that's, um, you know, we're uh, really focused on working with cybersecurity startups. I would say seed series like D is really um, the focus of who we're working with. Um, so we're, you know, the home of the up and coming cybersecurity tools. And then I would say the third thing that, uh, you know, we're really focused on um, is this idea of community. And so I mentioned this before that community really brought my co-founder and I together. So mm -hmm. we have been really focused on building a community of cybersecurity professionals. We call it the Hackerverse. Um, of individuals kind of working across the spectrum from practitioners like in the trenches every day uh, protecting the infrastructure of the companies that they're working for all the way up to decision makers. Um, and so, you know, cybersecurity is a very unique space uh, in that for a lot of people in it, it's very much um, a lifestyle <laughs> beyond just an industry. Um, you think about the DEF CON conference, which is like the hacker conference. It Like I went this year for the first time. It is definitely a cultural experience. Um, there is nothing like it that I've experienced in my life. Um, so we, you know, are trying to be uh, the premier community for cybersecurity professionals to come and engage in our events, connect with each other, you know, talk about these emerging threats, doing all of those things, um, and also be able to shop for new tools. So, um, you know, uh, I think in the B2B space, uh, Community-led growth really hasn't been a focus um, so much. I think you know some of these smaller businesses are really focused on growing community so they can grow their businesses. And I think for a lot of ways that it has not been a focus in B two B space. And so I think we are uh, kind of leading leading the pack in terms of being some an industry a company that leans into community as a way to consistently fill its own funnel and grow uh, our company and spread the word about what we're doing. Um, you know, along with that is kind of 
of, you know, we, we do things like, uh, we're, uh, rule breakers, boat rockers. Everything we do is, uh, you know, uh, trying to shift the paradigm in the cybersecurity space. So we also really focus on like, um, entertainment value with all these events that we do. So, um, it's kind of loud and in your face with neon colors and, <laughs> My co-founder also loves heavy metal. <laughs> Me, not so much, but it's cool. Um, so, you know, we're kind of also uh, blending the lines between edu- uh, education and entertainment. So like an edutainment platform also. Um, so those are kind of the things that I think, you know, as we kind of think about the future, that's what I really want Kicker to be is yeah. not just a marketplace. Um, it's an incredible uh, community that also is fun that makes you want to come back for more. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like you truly understand your market and you truly understand the pain points um, and you're very well versed on, on on all of it. You know, um, I'm curious about your personal experience. Like, how did you navigate like the challenges of entering this specialized, very technical domain of cybersecurity? How did you navigate that? How did you learn all the things? I mean, you're coming from a history background, so yeah. <laughs> I'm curious on how did, how did you immerse yourself in cybersecurity? Yeah. Um, great question. I think the first thing that I'll start off by saying is that um, in some ways, I think being a total outsider has been a huge help um, because I can look at this with having, you know, previously no experience and be like, what the heck is happening? Why do they do things this way? And just be like, whoa, like this is really outdated and no one does this anymore. So um, I think that's been really helpful. Um, and I think one of the biggest challenges that the cybersecurity industry has is communication. Mm-hmm. Um, it you, There's so much jargon and it's so specialized. And I think the intimidation factor is high. And so if we can like really break it down and simplify what we're doing and talk to people about it in a way that makes sense to everyone, everyone wins, right? So thinking like, what I think everyone needs to really know is that like we all have targets on our back. Consumers, small businesses, enterprises, um, specifically thinking about small medium businesses being the backbone of the American economy. Um, they mm-hmm. as a whole know nothing about cybersecurity and are the biggest target right now, right? So yeah. cyber it, criminals take the path of least resistance. A lot of these big companies, yeah, they may be a bigger payday, but they have so many processes and procedures and tools in place that it makes it harder to hack those organizations. Not saying it's impossible, thinking about MGM Grand that lost a boatload of money in August and had their hotels and casinos shut down for like a week. But, um, you know, I I think path of least resistance, small and medium business buyers need to know more about the cybersecurity space and they need to, it needs to be more accessible. So I think that's like one thing. I think being an outsider um, has been really helpful because Mm -hmm. I can break it down and and talk about it in a way that makes sense to people where it hasn't been that way before. Um, I think the other thing too is that um, I've just become a serial networker. I think by the end of the year, the number will come in around 450 virtual coffees that I will have had by the end of the year. It's all on a spreadsheet. Are you counting? Uh, this is a virtual coffee because you should. <laughs> yes, yes, it's going on the list. Going on the list. Um, and for the most part, like people in this space have been like super kind and welcoming. Like I can't say that have there been too many bad, like one bad experience with someone who was like, "Is this a date?" I was like, "No, this is a virtual coffee." Um, <laughs> Uh, so, I mean, and, and it's just been amazing to be able to hear how people got into the space. Uh, I, I, I would say for a lot of people, it was totally accidental. They didn't mean to, they really liked 
puzzles and challenges and ended up in IT and then cybersecurity. So I think for a lot of people, um, it just kind of being ended up being a space where they stumbled into. And I think, you know, that's largely because it's not a very old industry. Um, you know, it's only like 20 years old or something like that, where we're now having, you know, um, curriculum around universities around cybersecurity, but that definitely wasn't the case, um, you know, for, you know, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, you know, it's been great to be able to learn about people's journeys and just the more times I have these conversations, um, I can hear about people's pain points. I can understand like why people want to be in this space. Um, you know, I think a lot of these individuals, I really think about them as like the, you know, superheroes of the current age, because they're the ones out there protecting things like our electric grids and our water systems and all the things that we take for granted every day um, that would bring our society come to a screeching halt <laughs> without people working in cybersecurity, um, using these tools and building these tools and all of that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, it, I, it's been great. I think there's an impetus for change, which has been helpful. If there wasn't, then I don't think I would have gotten as far. But I think that there are a lot of people who understand that the industry needs to change. They're actively pushing for that. They are willing to stand by my side and be like, let's let's shake shit up as I like that's my personal motto. <laughs> um, and so it's been an incredible experience. Um, you know, the other thing I would say in terms of like impetus for change, um, you know, as you can probably imagine, not a super diverse space in technology, I think even less diverse than many other places in tech. Um, but uh, I have been very lucky to meet a co-founder and stumble into a network of um, male allies. And I did not come up with this term. They call themselves the pale male and sales. This is their, their own terminology. I did not come up with this and they own it. <laughs> <laughs> and they're just like, yeah, we need to make this industry less pale male and stale and we need yeah. more women and we need more people of color. And I, I think about it from like a, a, a security perspective, the adversaries you are facing are from around the world, with a variety of different uh, perspectives. So if you don't have a diverse team, like that's a threat, right? Like that is mm -hmm. a risk to your security. So um, that would be my answer to this question. It's kind of uh, being an outsider has been helpful, but then also it just happens to me that there's a lot of impetus for changing the way we do things. For sure. I love that. Um, and I mean, you kind of touched a little bit on it, but um, you know, through your experience, I mean, you're, a, you're an entrepreneur, you, you've had your market, you started with your marketing agency, and now you're, you know, obviously you're a CEO and co-founder of this. Um, now, but what other roles, role models or mentors have influenced your career choices, you know, and, and kind of provided you that guidance, uh, especially during this early stage of your entrepreneurial journey as you, you know, mm -hmm. you move on to potentially fundraising soon? Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. So um, the first person I would shout out is Cat uh, Wood. Um, who uh, she was uh, my business coach early in my entrepreneurial journey. So I had been doing some um, uh, internship work for her through a program that I was part of called Acadium, which was a marketing boot camp. And so I'd been, you know, just doing some work for her. Um, and she invited me to become part of her business coaching program. Through there, I met a lot of uh, amazing women entrepreneurs and was able to launch my business through that. So without you know, it was kind of just like a lucked into that situation where, you know, I was her marketing intern. I didn't know anything about coaching consulting. I didn't know anything about business coaching. Um, and it just happened to be like lucked into that situation, but she's incredible and kind of helped um, me learn some of the business basics that like I 
knew nothing about. Like I didn't have any business entrepreneur role models growing up. I didn't even consider like not once consider owning my own business. Um, so, um, she would be the first one that I would, I would shout out. Um, you know, uh, right now I, I'm, I've been, um, really inspired by the all raise community looking at your sweatshirt there. Um, <laughs> uh, the all raise unconference was able to be on the closing panel discussion there at the, uh, this, this year. But, um, I think they're doing an incredible job of, um, you know, bringing more women investors into the space. And, you know, as a result, hopefully broadening the spectrum of the people who are getting access to capital. Um, so the, I mean, then that's more of an organization, but, um, you know, there's some incredible, Incredible women working in um, cybersecurity. Gadalia Weinberg O'Brien is one specifically that comes to mind. Spent some time in the federal government. Is now building her own um, cybersecurity startup. Um, who has been very very helpful in um, introducing me to, to her investors, to other people in the space. So, um, you know, I think. Uh, Virtual coffees have been incredible for opening the door to just a variety of uh, relationships within open the door to additional conversations and and all of those kinds of things. Um, You know, I think uh, women entrepreneurs, for the most part, vast majority really uh, are standing for women, other women entrepreneurs. So um, it's an incredible time to be starting your own business. Um, You know, you were, I think, started in COVID, seeing the dramatic rise of women leaving uh, corporate life and saying enough is enough, I'm doing my own thing. And so I think, you know, there's starting to be not that there hasn't already been, but just continuing uh, ecosystem of women entrepreneurs who are very interested in helping each other succeed. Yeah, wow. A lot of a lot of different folks have touched your life. And I love the all race conference on yeah. conference. You know, I, I missed it this year because I had surgery, um, but it was a, it's a great community. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, you might know, I did a VC fellowship with Chicago blend last mm-hmm. year. Um, and I, you know, attended several events that they put together. I even took a course, an investing course that they have on their site. Um, mm-hmm. They have a ton of resources definitely yeah. for, for not just entrepreneurs, but also for if people that are interested in investing, becoming under investors, mm-hmm. um, so that's that's a great community. Uh, I'm I want to ask about the TechRise community because mm-hmm. you also uh, pitched in one of, in the I think it was the May competition of TechRise mm-hmm. earlier this year where you won. Um, mm-hmm. Can you share a little bit more about participating in the TechRise competition, uh, being part of the program, and how was it? What was it like, and how that Im- impacted your company's growth? Um, really incredible. Um, I think Desiree Vargas Wrigley does a, a great job of helping prepare people. Um, the pitch foundation framework. Um, you know, uh, I didn't know it at the time, but my pitch deck was a hot hot mess. Uh, and, so, <laughs> and so I think they provide some really valuable insights into building effective decks. Um, you know, uh, the, the fundraising process, um, I was also part of their speed round, um, program, which is connecting you to a fundraising mentor. So we were connected with Matt Kunkel of logic gate, who's in the cybersecurity space, um, who, you know, has made some connections to investors. So they provide really valuable, um, connections with VCs, with entrepreneurs, um, and others who are really h- able to help you, um, you know, continue, uh, up-leveling your, your business, uh, your fundraising journey, all those kinds of things, um, was actually part of the finale season three finale on Tuesday, mm-hmm. uh, was not the winner, but it's okay. <laughs> you know, uh, you did great though. I watched it <laughs> virtually you. since I I'm still recovering, but I watched it. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. So, um, you know, it was just uh, very inspiring to be up there with, you know, other entrepreneurs building incredible products and doing amazing things. So, um, yes, absolutely. Shout out tech, right. 
ways, get involved. Um, they're doing the work to get access capital in the hands of um, women and people of color. Whereas, you know, instead of just like actual programming, it's like cold, hard cash, which is what we need. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> now, I want to shift a little bit about, you know, you've mentioned it quite a, a couple of times now, like the diversity in cybersecurity. Uh, and obviously, uh, with Latin, Latina roots, you know, as a, as a Latina woman in the cybersecurity industry, um, which is, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's not well represented of other women either. Yeah. How do you navigate and contri contribute to promoting diversity and inclusion within this field? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I've taken a stand since day one. And honestly, this was one of the reasons why I wanted to work with my co-founder, um, because he's like, we need more women and people of color in the space. Mm -hmm. We did like since literally the first time we ever talked, he was like, yeah, we need this is a problem. Um, and so he, you know, bless him, turned over the CEO ship of, you know, this company that was his brainchild, his baby for the last, you know, he's been in the space for 22 years to uh, to me. And it's been an incredible fit. I think he um, you know, saw my talent for storytelling and relationship building and all those kinds of things, which, um, he's the technical half of team is not necessarily, <laughs> uh, his strong point, And he knows that. Um, so, but that's really one of the reasons why I came on with kicker. And so, um, that's been, uh, you know, internally owned team is like, Hey, how can we bring more women and people of color onto the team? Like, where are the, where can we find these people? How can we, uh, you know, really be strategic and thoughtful about building it? diverse team. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, every time I talk about the cybersecurity space on podcasts and all that kind of stuff, I'll obviously I'm, I'm advocating for that as well. Um, you know, something that I talk to with investors, like, hey, you know, what's your commitment to diversity um, beyond what it says on your, your mission statement on your website? Like, what are you actually doing? How are you trying to diversify these space? And so I think part of it is really just like having those, you know, conversations, um, investing my time with organizations like WISIS, um, women in Cybersecurity, WICYS, um, which is an incredible organization. They put on a conference every year for women in cybersecurity, obviously. NatSec Girl Squad, which is uh, another conference happening in January, specifically um, you know, national security folks. And so there are these communities um, that are kind of doing the work. I think it's just like amplifying the message about what they're doing, I think is the really a missing piece. Not that they're not doing that, but I think it's such a heavily male dominated industry. We need to be having more of these conversations. And so um, it's something that's always on the forefront of my mind. Like I really, you know, want to be strategic about that. And so I think in the future when we're, you know, a, a big old baddie in the industry and have lots of money, um, you know, we'll be <laughs> strategically partnering with like um, Black Girls Hack and like Girls Who Code and all those kinds of things to, to really create that next generation of pipeline of workers coming into the space because we need them. Um, you know, there's thousands of cybersecurity job openings. Like, let's be strategic about who we put in there. Yeah. And, and for those people that are looking at those jobs, you know, uh, right now, young women, you know, yeah. what type of advice would you share with them about specific skills or mindsets or resources mm -hmm. that you that they can start looking into to pivot into this field? 
Yeah, definitely. So one um, shout out to TCM Security. Uh, they are a, um, a training program. They offer training programs of a variety of sorts. Really, really uh, good folks. Um, really appreciate them. Just good human beings who um, are providing like ethical training. Um, there are some other companies in the industry who shall remain unnamed that I will not be recommending. Uh, but they <laughs> they are one that I really appreciate. Um, if, you know, for paid training programs. Um, another one is. Uh, Cybrary, C-Y-B-R-A-R-Y, that offers like um, access to a lot of free programming. Um, you know, one thing that I would say, and, and this is just my personal take on this, so, you know, take it with a grain of salt, if you will, but I personally don't think you need a university degree to be in this space. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think on-the-job training and experience and, you know, the skill set, if you have the skill set to do it, to me, that's what matters. So, um, you know, I don't necessarily think that you need to go get a four-year degree in this, maybe for something like super specialized, uh, that that might be a requirement, um, you know, that, that is out there. But I think just getting your feet wet and getting an internship, um, and, and connecting with people, um, I think being very active on LinkedIn is very important. Cybersecurity people are extremely active on LinkedIn. Um, they make it easy to find them. Uh, they list all of their certifications and their mm-hmm. titling. <laughs> uh, so just start connecting with people. And I think you'll find access to um, a lot of people in the industry who are willing to mentor. Um, going back to WISIS, they have a, a mentorship program that I plugged into this year. So um, that is accessible to people. Um, mentoring goes a long way. Um, what I will say is that for how big of a industry cybersecurity is, it is very small. Um, once you're in it and you start building these networks, it's like the Kevin Bacon second degree of connection type situation <laughs> where it's like, oh yeah, I know this person. I know it, it's like, it is yeah. very like insular in a lot of ways. And so, um, you know, you're able to get your foot in there. You start building up your reputation and, uh, working with mentors. I think that is a huge piece of things. Um, and then, you know, find your allies. I've been very, very lucky to have a group of men standing by my side and being like, this, this bitch is awesome. Sorry for my language, but, uh, they're, they're like by my side, like promoting everything I do and amplify my voice and like, you know, uh, talking about me in rooms where I don't have access to and all those things. So, uh, I think, you know, that has been also important to our success as well. Yeah, I mean, that's the type of sponsorship we all need, truly. Yeah. For, for those folks that are definitely interested in, in connecting with you and learning more, a little bit more about your journey and how they can help, like, where can they find you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, LinkedIn. Uh, I believe my LinkedIn handle is here to shake shit up, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> uh, so again, personal motto, make it easy to find me. Always open to virtual coffee. Um, you know, also very open to mentoring myself. Happy to help out and li- uh, lend a hand to anyone who, who needs it. Um, you know, like I said, very passionate about that. So LinkedIn, um, kicker.co, uh, K-I-K-R-R.co is our team website. Um, those would probably be the two easiest ways to, to learn more about what we're doing and get in touch with me. Awesome. I'll make sure to include those in the show notes. And if, actually, if you want to share also the resources that you that you share, like the sure. WISIS and, uh, and the mentorship programs, all of that, um, I'm happy to include them as well for anyone interested. Perfect. Um, we'll do. Thank you so much for joining me. This was really fun. I'm glad to finally have been able to chat with you. I love all your models and all your you know, mantras <laughs> and all the things. I'm here to, you know, rock the boat, <laughs> function up. <laughs> love it. Love it. Do it. <laughs> 
<laughs> all right. Well, I wish you all the best in the world. I hope that you know. Are are you all racing already? Yeah. So we um, uh, have been ra- attempting to close a pre-seed raise uh, this year. Uh, it hasn't necessarily gone very far, but we've had a lot of re- recent success. So um, we're hitting 2024 hard with, um, with some new customer acquisitions, and we'll be uh, opening up our seed round raise in February 2024, and we'll be closing it shortly thereafter. So investors, get on the boat. Don't miss out. We're incredible. Uh, there you go. <laughs> and we already have a lot of interest, and we'll be closing it uh, not long after we open it. I have a feeling. So, yes. Awesome. Well, best of luck with all of that. And thank you again for joining me. Absolutely. I wanted to add a quick note here that we won't be back until the new year. We'll be taking a few weeks off and we'll return with a new episode on the week of January 8th. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Chicago Techies podcast. If you enjoy listening, don't forget to subscribe, share and leave a review on iTunes. Let's continue the conversation on social media. We are at Chicago Techies on all social media platforms. Happy holidays and happy new year.